the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 183, and I'm your host, Helena Levin, and joining me today is my co-host, Pontus Bachmann. Всем привет! Hey son, hey son. How are you, Jelena? Ah, uh, yes, very good, very good, very good. So, great, great, great. No Andras. <laughs> no Andras today. No, that's. Uh... <laughs> he said he is in Saint Petersburg, if I'm not mistaken, which is a very beautiful place yeah. to visit in Russia. So I've heard. I haven't been there, but yeah. yeah. Oh, it's it's an amazing place. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he's having a nice time. Mm-hmm. He's there for work. You know, it's, there, there are worse places to be for work. Yeah. So it's going to be just the two of us for this yep. week. Yep, yep, yep. So I believe, Pontus, something exciting happened to you. You did an interview <laughs> on another podcast, a very well-known podcast yep. called Skeptic Zone, recently. Tell us. Yeah, yeah. No, I was a bit unfaithful. I went on to another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so Richard Saunders interviewed me for the, the Skeptic Zone last week or this week that was... And uh, yeah, so if listeners are interested, uh, they should check it out. I think if we had a good talk. As Richard said, he and I, we are uh, good friends that have never met because he lives on, he walks his life upside down, down in <laughs> Australia. I can't, I don't know how he does it. So we have never had the opportunity to meet, but we have talked quite a few times. Uh, one one day I will have to go down there and uh, look him up. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think actually we share... Maybe not a big portion, but uh, a portion of audience between Skeptic Zone and uh, our podcast. So yeah, very likely, yes. There'll be a, a cross uh, listening going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. good. What have you been up to then, Elena? Um, sorting my life out in Seattle. It's getting there, you know. We've um, I can't remember if I mentioned, but if you move to America, you've got to do your driving test again and your theory because your uh-huh. license doesn't really fly here. So they look at your license, European license, and they say, oh, we can't really read your uh, date, dates. Uh, even and if I you th- explain it to them, they can't and read it. And I think it. to myself, well, <laughs> well, it's kind of the same with me. I can't read your dates. So I'm having to get used to the fact that they put the month ahead of the dates everywhere. But anyways, so we're both now, me and Brad, we have new Washington state driving licenses. I feel very Americanized. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's getting there. But the the issue with the recording, of course, is always the time difference. Mm, So what time is it now for you? So now it's like uh, quarter past 10 here and it's ungodly hour where you are. Seven Seven in the morning, morning, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So it's either that way or the other way. So where it's really early here, you guys can record. So, Mm. And often on the weekends, you know how it is with weekends. You have plans and you're out and whatever. So, Mm. But I think we'll have to do this for a while, you know, when one of us is on. (laughs) (laughs) At least with you, Pontus. You'll be our permanent fixture. (laughs) I hope so. I'll do my best. But other than that, there isn't anything. I mean, the th- the, so this is, I guess, part human psychology and perception. But, you know, now that I live in America, I, of course, feel like the news of the mass shootings are, are more kind of in my face, but also hmm. closer to home. 
and all of a sudden it feels like as soon as we moved here there was a lot more of that happening which is not great but um uh, and I think a friend of mine mentioned to me, yes, but don't forget, we live in the most peaceful time in the history. And that's true, you know, um, as Stephen Pinker wrote in his book, Better Angels of Our Nature, it is the case that we no longer wage constant wars, although there are still wars across the world, but it's not on the same scale. But still, that doesn't help me feel any better, if you know what I mean. So. No, no, I understand. No, of course... Well, it doesn't really, it's not going to stop me because I remember even in, in, in living in England and um, uh, when some terrorist, uh, terrorist attacks happen there, it doesn't stop you from doing things. It's just something that's at the back of your mind all the time. Yeah. Uh, considering that there are more guns in America than there are people in America, it's a pretty concerning That's part. messed up, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, other than that, um, there is nothing really related to skepticism i can report on <laughs> okay okay good okay so i guess we can jump right into the show yep and of course i'll start first because i'll be talking about the event that happened on this week mm-hmm. and it was in 2016 august 17 <laughs> not how i now do this American thing, <laughs> the month first. I didn't mean to. Anyways, a company called Stern first made a claim about its Orbo device that um, it produced free energy. Mm-hmm. So free energy forever out of thin air, if I, I'm, not, I'm not mistaken. So this, this Stern company was a small technology development company in Dublin, Ireland. And uh, it's been working on um, the battery that will work forever. And it subsequently released a device called Orbo. And it's an Orbo was a phone charger. And you'd never have to worry about energy or buying a new device anymore because it'll just produce energy forever for free. Fantastic. So why don't I have one of those now? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. <laughs> Especially because they've made an announcement in 2006. So that was mm-hmm. some time ago. Mm-hmm. When they were hyping up, so they, when they were marketing this, they created this hype and they took out a big uh, advertisement page in, in Economist that read, it had a, one of the famous quotes by Bernard Shaw that read, all great truths begin as blasphemies. Well, you know, I don't. I don't think it's a great start <laughs> no. to um, promote your product. However, um, they were very, very sure of their discovery. So sure that they announced that they are looking to recruit twelve scientists onto a, p- a panel of judges to check to make sure that the claim is stands. They've uh, sifted through over several hundred, I, I believe, uh, scientists at the time, over 400 scientists, and they've chosen 12. Now, out of these 12, allegedly, eight confirmed the fact. But the funny thing is, nobody, not one out of these eight scientists, was prepared to go on record or to talk to the reporters off record or <laughs> give any other indication. Nobody knows their names. So this is always just hearsay by the company themselves, which doesn't really instill that much confidence, if you ask me. No. No matter how much we would like to have an everlasting battery device in our lives, that never came to pass. 
And what do you know, the company folded and went into liquidation a few years later. To be honest with you, I think they, they managed to excite quite a few investors and they raised 24 million pounds. That's a oh, lot of money. Hell. Yeah. I don't know. I guess as a venture capital company, there probably were some expectations. But if you raise that capital and you don't deliver, well, that's just, you know, tough luck, I guess. And so mm. those guys who gave money, they'll be... I don't think they'll be worse off in a way, mm. but it, it, it was a gamble that didn't pay off in this instance. And I'm not, you know, to say that I wouldn't want to see one of those devices in my lifetime, but it just was a, um, a bold, uh, unfortunately unsubstantiated claim made by a guy who he was probably believing in. Well, he he probably believed that that they can pr- produce this kind of device, but. I think in one of the articles that I found, he says, well, we don't understand how it works, but we know that it works. Well, we don't, we know about gravity, but we don't know how gravity works. Uh, I think scientists do. And so that was very bizarre. And uh, the the founder of this company, Sean McCarthy, has been called uh, as a Willy Wonka of energy. (laughs) So I don't know. I think he hasn't gone away. Um, sorry, I'll take that back. When I said that they raised twenty-four million pounds, it was twenty-three million euros, which okay. is more or less similar amount. Mm-hmm. So he hasn't gone away. He's still, I think, maybe nurturing that idea. But for for me personally, that one was not, nothing more than a attention-grabbing headlines and um, attempt at something, but that turned out to be absolutely nothing. Wow, interesting. I, I, I was looking, I hadn't heard of this, actually. I, I thought I, but I, I looked it up as, as you talked about. There's a quote that is quite fun. Yeah. What we have developed is a way to construct magnetic fields so that yeah. when you travel around the magnetic fields, starting and stopping at the same position, you have gained energy. Oh, that sounds very strange. But by claiming this, they're breaking the law of conservation of energy. So they're saying you, exactly. you're inputting yeah. less energy than you're getting back. That doesn't make any sense. Nope, doesn't work. There's no such thing as a free energy <laughs> provider. Well, listen, like I said, if somebody comes along and proves us wrong, I mean, please, I'll be only happy. Yeah, very happy. Uh, I'll get one of those chargers, but not until they prove that it works. Yeah, and also, if correct me if I'm wrong, Pontus, but this uh, idea of the self-charging free energy, this perpetuum modular, that's been uh, around for like centuries, if I'm not mistaken. So it's not like a new, mm-hmm. new concept. It's just a modern reincarnation. Yeah, every now and again, somebody comes up and say that they have created something like this, but of course you can't. So. Yeah. All right, so... Um, I am very pleased to announce that Pontus will be poking the pulp. <laughs> okay. Yes. So with Francis having the reputation of being the good pope to the public, he may seem like the outsider. He's the first American pope. He's the first Jesuit pope, etc. Maybe he's the guy who would come in and bring everything all right in the Vatican and in the Catholic Church and to clean up the mess that they have created for all, with all these sex scandals. But sadly, no. We can look at one of Francis' good friends, who is Argentinian, just like him, and uh, as I said, an old acquaintance of him, and he's called Gustavo Sanchetta. Mm-hmm. One of the first things that Francis did after becoming the Pope was to appoint Gustavo Sanchetta to become the Bishop of Oran in Argentina. But not two years after his appointment, there were accusations. And so this is a close friend of the Pope. 
It was discovered that Sanchetta's phone had inappropriate sexual content, videos of young men having sex, as well as nude selfies of the bishop himself. And of course, you may enjoy any kind of sex as you want to, we don't judge that, but he's supposed to not abuse people in his congregation, which it turned out that he had done. Mm-hmm. Of course, Sanchetta claimed that his phone had been hacked by people who wanted to discredit Pope Francis. But, but come on, who, even if that was true, where would these people get hold of nude selfies of the bishop? You know, that's rather suspicious. Well, I guess they could claim that uh, it was um, photoshopped and his head was on top of something. something. Yeah, okay, yeah, maybe, anyway. maybe. Yeah, anyway, there was a report sent to Francis, but uh, Francis said he believed Sanchetta's claim that uh, his phone was hacked and nothing happened then. Nevertheless, there was an internal investigation launched after that, uh, and that revealed that Sanchetta had the habit of visiting the diocesan seminary at night, sitting in the bed of seminarians, asking them for a massage while he was giving them alcohol. So in 2016, a new report was sent to the Archbishop of Argentina, but nothing happened as a result of that. Then in 2017, two years ago, there was a third report of misbehavior, and this time Francis had to approve Sanchetta's letter of resignation, but it was allegedly because of health reasons. But also Francis appointed him to a high position within the Vatican just four months, four months later, and Sanchetta moved to Rome. And then nothing again happened until early this year when uh, criminal charges were filed accusing Sanchetta of, quote, aggravated continuous sexual abuse, end quote, during his time as a bishop. Then the Vatican, strangely enough, declared uh, that Rome had not learned about the abuse allegations until late 2018, even though uh, Francis himself had sent Sanchetta to Spain in 2017 to receive quote-unquote psychological treatment. So I, we can go on and on, and this is what we have come to expect now, unfortunately, to hear about these stories. What's different with this one is that Francis himself actually has been not involved in the scandal, but aware of it for a long time. Yeah, and friend and with the perpetrator, yeah. Yeah, yes. And so no matter how charming the Pope may seem, he is deeply tainted by all of this, what's going on. And he was clearly aware and was trying to protect his old buddy. And as usual, he was more concerned by keeping everything under wraps rather than helping the victims and stopping the abuse from happening. You know, I'd like to be a fly on the wall in one of those meetings um, in Catholic Church somewhere in Vatican. How do they, so when these scandals coming out one after another, year after year, I mean, what do they even say to each other at this point, right? Yeah, you wonder if they sit around and pretend uh, to not know anything, or they actually speak openly about this and say, how, how should we cover this one up? Yeah, I don't know. yeah. Uh, anyway, now uh, justice seems to have caught up with Sanchetta, and uh, on 15th of August, actually the day this episode will air, he is scheduled to appear in a court in Argentina and he has been uh, stopped from leaving the country. And uh, yeah, so there will be a, a formal legal case. On, on sexual charges? Yes. All right. Yes. 
Something something about uh, you can tell a lot about a person by his friends. I don't... Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Anyways. All right. Thanks very much, Pontus. Let's talk about some of the news items we picked out this week from around Europe. And a couple of international bits as well. All right. So uh, the first news is that, well, a few years ago, we gave the newspaper Metro in Sweden an award for being really right. This was because of their service called the Viral Examiner, or how you're supposed to translate it, Viral Granskaren in Swedish. But I'll translate it as the Viral Examiner. Mm-hmm. That was a service that in the actual paper and also on their online version, they analyzed viral news and shared stories and tried to present the actual facts behind it. A little bit like Snopes.com. Mm-hmm. And you can say what you will about Metro uh, with all its flaws. That was a very good initiative and they have continued to debunk fake news ever since. However, Metro has had continued financial issues in Sweden at least. And a few weeks ago, the paper copy of Metro was stopped because they actually couldn't afford to pay the printing fees. And this week, the online version of Metro in Sweden has also been cancelled and all employees have been let go. And that means that there will be no more viral examiner in Sweden. And I'm sad to see it go. Um, The the Swedish skeptics even gave them uh, the Enlightener of the Year award in 2014 for this. And it's too bad that it's now over. Very sad to to see this kind of effort to disappear. Unfortunately, the initiatives that make money are no good for the public or the planet, so <laughs> somehow. All right, um, well, I want to talk about vaginas, just for change. Feel free. <laughs> Feel free. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> not, everybody, not everyone has one, but everyone should be aware of this, uh, and I think it's been talked about a lot. Um, mm. Gwyneth Paltrow is to blame for spreading the fake uh, or false uh, treatment that she calls vagina steaming and making it popular across the world via her terrible website, Goop. Goop. <laughs> this treatment, of course, she didn't invent it. She's uh, copied it from some other Asian, Asian uh, traditions or something like that. Any... <laughs> I don't understand how women would would do that, but um, uh, any rational thinking person would understand that this is definitely not good for uh, your uh, bits. And um, now we finally have (laughs) the first study that talks about how uh, a woman has burned her bits because she was doing this steaming. And uh, apparently, uh, let me just get the quote to see how... how... Ouch! The quote was, ouch! (laughs) (laughs) okay the woman who who gave permission for her case to be shared obviously she wanted women to be aware all over the world Mm. even though like i said before i think from my perspective it was completely clear from the beginning do not do it Mm. anyway she sat over the boiling water get this pontus 20 minutes on two consecutive days before presenting at an emergency department with injuries wow i mean Surely that doesn't shock anyone who can stop and think for a second. But regardless, uh, this is the harm that celebrities uh, do when they spread this kind of nonsense. 
Yeah. She sustained second degree burns and uh, had to have the reconstructive surgery after wow. waiting a certain period of time to heal. And physicians across Europe and the world warned that it's it's not a good practice. It destroys your pH balance. It messes with the good bacteria in, in your bits. It's just not good all around. And um, we should just all be educating ourselves about stuff like that. I, and I wonder if it's going to be the first of many to come out, you know. I, I laugh because it's... Why are we even talking about my China steaming? <laughs> but because it's the most ridiculous practice, or one of the most yeah. ridiculous practices I've ever heard of. But um, that's the outcome. And I bet she's not the first one to burn herself, but probably the first one who has given permission public, to really. publish a report. Yeah. yeah, That's actually very brave of her to do that, because... The, the risk is, of course, that people like you and me will laugh about it, but it is serious and we, maybe we shouldn't laugh too much about yeah. it. It just goes to show how much yeah. influence famous people have to spread really stupid things. Yeah. And you don't have to be stupid to fall for that, actually. Well, so, yeah, I mean, uh, medicine moves on, okay, and we, we should kind of move in line with the discoveries, the, the modern discoveries, the things that we know about the bodies, bodies work and function, what affects them. And, of course, like this ancient Chinese tradition would say that, oh, it was great and all the royalty used to do it. But that was centuries ago. They didn't know anything about anything. <laughs> hmm, yeah. And also, don't get me started on Chinese traditions, please. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I won't. <laughs> but um, so, so this actually just recently came out, this article on BBC. So uh, we'll see. I mean, I don't want to see any more of that. <laughs> no. But something tells me there might be more. Okie dokie. We have more news about ancient ideas and stuff. <laughs> I thought you were going to say we got more news about vaginas, but then... Didn't. Not this time. I don't think so. I, I, not not uh, explicitly. Maybe there is some vagina steaming going on in this next one as well. But I, I, the details were not clear enough on that point. <laughs> right. But I saw this news in the French newspaper Le Monde. And it was something I just didn't believe was a thing or hadn't heard about as an active thing. But apparently... If you don't want to join us in Ghent for the European Skeptics Congress, you can instead go to the French Riviera for your shaman summer school. <laughs> so that is... A, apparently, shamanism is a big deal in Europe, or in France at least. From 28th of August to 1st of September, uh, for a mere 400 euros, you can attend a prolonged weekend of learning the basics of shamanism and... It's three axes of reflection. This I just have to read this out because it, I don't know what it means. I guess I have to go there and study. But the first axis, whatever they mean with that, but the first axis is what is tradition and what is a prime spirituality? Question mark. Okay, so you learn about that. I don't know what it means. The second one is what are the natural laws that govern the traditions of the world? Natural laws, but well, they probably, I don't know. They talk about what? Photosynthesis? The sun shines, the flowers grow, the blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they probably don't mean the same thing as natural with natural laws that I... I think of the laws of nature and the laws of yeah. physics, etc. Yeah, no, they, they probably, probably don't. Mean You're right. It's all else. about energy and karma, I'm sure. Yeah. And the third axis is how can we use these natural laws in the ancestral practices? So, again, I don't know what it means, but you can contact the... Université du Germanisme, 
and I'm sure they will be able to tell you all about it. This is the first summer school of its kind in France, uh, but apparently shamanism is a big thing there, and just this spring they had their 12th annual festival of shamanism with about 4,000 participants. According to the organizers of these activities, shamanism represent the original religion of humanity and they are big fans of Amazonian healers and the use of ayahuasca and other hallucinogenic remedies. Pretty far out. Sounds very hippie-like to me. But if I were you, dear listener, I would probably rather go to Ghent at the end of uh, this month and join us for the European Skeptics uh, Congress. I think you will learn better things there. All right, see you. Right, so um, this is something actually that affects, well, arguably Europe and possibly the world, well, the world, uh, uh, maybe not as much, but uh, it's called flight shaming. And let me just get that in um, Swedish. comes from Sweden. Uh, Fligskam. Okay. Is that right, yeah? Yeah? Fairly good, yeah. Flight shame. Any (laughs) huji. So (laughs) apparently... I can't say I've, I've explicitly heard that term, although I have had brief discussions and sort of was aware of people who are environmentally aware that they do want to give up flying. None of my friends or people who I know actually did give up flying. They only talked about how nice would it be to give up flying. But when push comes to shove and you want to go to ho- on holiday mm. to another continent. Anyways... So, but this flight shaming thing is gaining power in Europe, uh, becoming the activity of environmentally minded people. Started in Sweden. It's actually gaining momentum. And so what they're now propagating is not flying across Europe because, well, I mean, Europe does have some other means of transportation. So we do have good train connections between some of the big cities. And so what they are now um, advocating is developing the rail network even further Mm. so that that there are fast trains between um, maybe smaller cities and other parts of Europe that uh, aren't connected by train. That's all good and well. And um, of course, those who work for the airline industry uh, argue against it, of course, shock horror. Mm -hmm. For example, Alexander de Junac, who is director general and CEO of uh, Global Airline Trade Association, IATA. He said, and I quote, Confining people's horizons to train distances or boat speeds backsteps on a century of worldwide progress, relying on virtual meetings to make global connections, ignores the feelings and sensations that make us human. Of course he'd say that. Come on. He's a mm-hmm. CEO of uh, the uh, this global organization that, that's directly tied to the air travel. There is a lot to be to think about. We're all aware now of the footprint that uh, each of our flights make whenever we make it. And actually, I think because of this um, movement gaining momentum, now the, the, some of the European countries jumping on this bandwagon. And France Transport Minister announced an eco-tax on all flights mm-hmm. that take off from the country. It's not huge, the tax, but it's something. And uh, other airlines, for example, the KLM, Royal Dutch Airline, they're launching a sustainability campaign um, that urging travelers to fly less. So there is this general buzz around it. So we'll see. I mean, I guess I can say that I do feel a little bit guilty every time I travel by air because I know of the footprint. 
But I always say, I don't have any kids. So, you know. <laughs> you know that's, that's your excuse. That's my get out of jail card. I mean, anybody yeah, who has yeah. kids has nothing on me. I'm sorry, but. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now I have kids shame. Yeah, over here, because so. kids footprint, uh, uh, if we're talking just purely on uh, about environmental footprint, is yes. much worse than me flying. But anyway, that doesn't mean that I don't feel guilty because I do. And although, to be honest with you, I think it is, it's, a, it's a good thing to worry about and it's a one way to tackle certain things and maybe change your behaviors. But I still think we're missing bigger points here. Uh, we need to be tackling pollution in countries that produce most of it, like China and Russia. And that's something that... Um, I don't know if it's... Yeah, no, I think this is a fight we have to fight on many levels at the same time, of course. But I I think it's not really realistic to believe that uh, flying will Mm. disappear. Yeah, it's not going to disappear. And I think maybe let's... Okay, fine, we know that it's a huge... uh, It does make a huge footprint. But why don't we think about greener ways to fly? I don't know if people even think about that. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm sure they do. I mean, there was this news... Just a few months ago, somebody had constructed a, a electric airplane. So it wasn't just a prototype; it was a small one. And uh, but anyway, they are looking for for ways yeah. to get. But it's very difficult because you have to have all these batteries with you, and they're so heavy, so yeah. you can't yeah. take off freely. <laughs> well, but maybe that's where the stern comes in. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. With their orbo-free energy device. Anyways, yeah. So there we go. Good. Yeah, okay. I will go back and uh, give a new measles update. Oh, it's been, God, uh, I have a feeling uh, there's it... nothing good about that. <laughs> no, it's not. It's still bad and it's getting worse. And uh, we've actually already talked about the numbers for end of uh, June for the first six months this year. But now there are more details and I have actually compiled a little nice uh, spreadsheet that I will put a link to in the show notes so people can look at look at it themselves. But I will give you some highlights. I, I've been looking at what the WHO called the European region, which is much bigger than just the EU. It includes Israel and Turkey and a lot of other countries. But you can separate that in this little spreadsheet and you can look at it separately. Last year in the EU, we had about 18,000 measles cases. Mm-hmm. And as of end of June, there were 11,000. So we're increasing yet again this year compared to last year, which, of course, was even bigger than the year before. The year before mm-hmm. it. So worst of those countries are still Romania, mm-hmm. uh, although that trend is going down a little bit. They're one of the countries that actually are getting... But they're, they're coming down from a very high uh, level, of course. France is still increasing, have an increase of 40%. So there are now 2,000 cases just in the six months. Italy is increasing. Poland is increasing. Bulgaria is coming from nothing almost to 1,000 cases mm-hmm. for the first six months. Lithuania is way up there in percentages anyway. But um, if we look at the other so-called European countries outside the EU... Ukraine is still a disaster. They have more than doubled from their very, very high level last year, 53,000 cases. Oh. They had they have 55,000 just for six months now. Wow. It's really a, a disaster. Kazakhstan has 8,000 cases, just had a few hundred last year. 
Georgia, 4,000. Russia is increasing as well, 3,500 cases. Turkey, 3,500 cases. So, uh, but I will not bore you with all the details and all the, the numbers. I will link to this spreadsheet and to also my sources. So you, if you're interested, you can see exactly where your country is in all of this in, in Europe and uh, see who the bad guys are. But we really, really have to come. I don't know what we're doing wrong. But as we, we talked about before is that the vaccination rates overall in the world is not going up. So uh, I don't know what we're doing wrong. The last eight years, we're still at the same level of uh, vaccination. And we need to increase that, especially when it comes to measles, because uh, as we have said many times, you have to reach 95% vaccination rate to stop the, the disease because it's so contagious. And it's not harmless. There are several hundred deaths in, in Europe for, from uh, measles. Okay, well, thanks for that, Pontus. <clears throat> we'll keep moni- monitoring the situation. And um, if I'm not mistaken, we are on to the next segment, the really wrong one. Yeah, actually, it's a really right. <gasps> Yay, I'm kind of relieved <laughs> so <good>. to this. <laughs> yeah, hey, good. Really right it so is, not... then. I'm not sure if I've ever done two really rights in a row, but we celebrated the Swedish government last week uh, for ending anthroposophy in Sweden. Uh, But why not? So let's be uh, positive for a while here. So this week I want to talk about The Lancet, the famous medical journal that's been around for almost 200 years. It was founded in 1823. As an old British institution like that, you perhaps do not expect them to be at the forefront when it comes to gender equality and diversity. And they probably haven't been in the past, but now they're making an effort to change all that. Six months ago, they published a a theme issue on women in science, medicine and global health uh, that raised concerns about systematic gender bias. And they called for equality for women uh, within these fields. And now they called for urgent actions to create institutional change, quote unquote. On 10th of August, they issued on their website uh, their new commitment to gender equity and diversity. And a bit further down in this document, they say, Our diversity pledge states that we value diversity in all its dimensions, recognizing the need to improve the inclusion in science of people across gender, ethnicity, geography and other social categories. They especially say that they will never allow for what they now call the manals, which is all male panels, which I assume has been very, very common in the past and still is, I guess. We have a panel <laughs> debate and, the, and they call it manals because there's only men mm-hmm. on them. And they will no longer have that in any context. And they will also strive for at least 50% women speakers in any events that they may organize. And they say these uh, guidelines will be applied for all the 18 magazines that they currently run uh, and in all other activities that they may be involved in. So very good for them. Very good on them. If it's an all-woman panel, is that whammels? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that's a big problem that we have all women panels in science. But, the, but as a theory. <laughs> yep, could be, could be. Anyways, um, okie dokie, excellent. Yep, to wrap it up, 
For setting a good example to advance equity and diversity within science, the Lancet gets today's prize for being really right. Yay! All right, so that's it, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think so. But of course, uh, if you, dear listeners, would like to, us to mention any of the events that are happening in your country, please get in touch. You can do it by emailing us. It's info at theesp.eu. Go on Facebook, like us, uh, send us a message. Twitter, our Twitter handle is at espodcast underscore eu. You can also go on our website, theesp.eu. And if you go to the website, look at the events calendar. We're very proud of that. And we're proud of so many things that skeptics are doing all over Europe. I mean, there are, I think, thousands of events there now that we've added over the years. And every week there is at least 10 things happening and sometimes even more. So go there and be inspired or attend if you can. And if you, of course, if you want to support us, you can do what some people do, and we are very grateful for that. They go to patreon.com slash the ESP and pledge to send us a dollar or two for each episode that we release. Thank you, everybody, who is already supporting us. We're very, yes, um, thanks yeah, we're very grateful. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, do we get a quote today? We do. We get a quote. Here it goes. I've got a quote from Jonathan Swift, who was an Anglo-Irish uh, satirist, essayist. <laughs> anyway, so um, we've all probably heard of him because of his book, Gulliver's Travels. Well, yeah. and others, I guess. Anyway, so he said, You should never be ashamed to admit you have been wrong. It only proves you are wiser today than yesterday. Ah, if only people lived by this. Yeah, that's really short and sweet. I mean, but it's hard. It's very we, hard. Nobody wants to be but wrong. I, I can reassure you on a personal, in my personal experience, more you do that, easier it gets. So you go, yeah. you first time you admit you're wrong to someone. It doesn't feel yeah. right and you kind of, you just wish you didn't. But then more you do it and you see also the reaction. It's very positive. Yeah. Anyway, hmm? do it. Be more wrong. No, be be more. No, just admit uh, <laughs> when you are wrong. No, don't be more don't wrong. Be, but anyway. be proud to admit that you've learned something. That that's the point. Anyways, <laughs> well, it's been great recording this episode with you, Pontis. Thank you very much. And um, thank you. I guess uh, that's it. Until next time. Paka paka, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at eu, and like us on Facebook. 
I don't know how you can believe. What have I been up to? <laughs> I, <laughs> I can cut this out. <laughs> my, my cat is in the background. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I am tired. I... <laughs> You didn't sleep enough, Pontus, come on. <laughs> no, no, that's right. Yeah.